sector emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business in the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by Sage, transforming the way people think and work so their organizations can thrive. I'm Ed Kless with my friend and co-host Ron Baker, and folks, on today's show, we are pleased to welcome back to the show for a third time, Mark Koziel. Well, how you doing, Ron? How's it been? the week been? <laughs> well, outside of the news cycle ad and the debates and all that, it's been good. It's been good. Yep. Yeah. So. Uh, it's, it's, what is it? March 236th. Yeah. <laughs> good point. Yep. <clears throat> been rolling through, especially where you are still in lockdown. Well, let's bring Mark right in because we're going to have a, a rollicking conversation with Mark. Uh, again, as I mentioned, this is Mark's third appearance, but his first appearance in his new role Mark Koziel became the president and CEO of Lennial Global in August 2020 after 14 years with the AICPA. And in addition to leading a team of 29 staff members, he is responsible for strategic planning, financial performance, and the association's overall growth and success. Alenial Global is the second largest global association of accountants with over 250 member firms and $4.2 billion in revenues representative. Mark has been named to the top 100 most influential people in accounting by Accounting Today, Today every year since 2008 and to CPA practice advisors, 25 thought leaders every year since 2012. Mark, welcome back to the soul of enterprise. Thanks, Ed. Hey, Ron, how are you? Great Very to be good. Here. And I guess we can also say that you are now once again a fellow of the Verisage Institute. You were a, a fellow formerly, but then your your duties at the AICPA precluded you from holding that esteemed title in check. But we we, we kept the spot warm for you. Well, I appreciate that. I felt like a secret fellow for 14 <laughs> years. So, you, you know, you can't once you sign the pledge, Ed, there's no going back. No, no, there's some, really uh, not. Invoices for you to catch up on too, Mark. Just oh, <laughs> capital calls while you were gone. There you go. I'm sure Dan Morris would be happy about that. Right. But uh, hey, Mark, let's let's start here. Uh, what have we learned about the accounting profession in 2020? I mean, we could spend the whole show on that, right? <laughs> we could. You know, I. You know, ultimately for me, and it's funny because I, I had said to. Many when when I called Barry Melanson to give my notice, it was back in like May. Uh, and I said, uh, you know, I'm going to give us a big runway here. I'm going to stay till July 31, start August 1 at Alineal Global. By July 31, PPP will be over. The pandemic will be over. Everybody will be back to normal. I, I lost on that prediction. So, you know, it's but what I did learn, and especially all those years at the AICPM in the last eight months, the CPA is ultimately the trusted advisor, whether they like it or not, whether they have uh, embraced the category or not, or, or priced it appropriately, their clients turn to them first in the, in the need of, in the crisis mode that they were in. I, and you, you can't say enough about that. 
Yeah, there's certainly, I think Ron referred to him as the front line, right, For, from a business perspective and, and continue to be. Uh, and, you know, I, th- I think it was you who, f- who first said that you were having conversations with people as late as February, especially tax partners who were saying, there's no way that I could run my firm remotely. And then <laughs> then six weeks later, bang, you're all remote. Now what? <laughs> Four years of it. Four years of CEOs going to their tax partners saying we need to figure out remote tax partners saying there is no way our department can be remote, we all have to be in the office and you absolutely within four hours. It took four years to get to this point. The pandemic made it move in four hours. Four hours. Well, let's let's back up a second. Tell us about your new role at Alenio Global. First of all, for, for those of our listeners who do not know what Alenio Global is, tell us what that is and then uh, why you're so excited to be a part of it. Yeah, it's, a, it's an association of independent accounting firms. So our firms in the U.S. range from about $3 million in revenues to about $500 million in revenues, 67 in the U.S., 236 globally. And it is for the firms who need to uh, have services for their client that are global, that they have a connection to other firms. Uh, it's to build on resources together. And for me, it was really this natural transition. So for years, I've been talking about transformation and what firms need to do. And I was always kind of at this very general level of, of discussing it. Now I get to get in the weeds with the firms and have very different conversations. I can't tell you the number of firms globally that I've talked to in the last three months about subscription pricing, about three-tier pricing, the relationship with the client, all of those things, and even saying, you know, I want a lineal global to manage the entire client relationship because that's what's about, right? The client relationship. I want an lineal firm doing the client accounting. I want an lineal firm doing the audit. Two different firms, independent. That's the beauty of being an association. But ultimately, we hold the client relationship, and that is sticky forever. So Alenial actually holds the client relationship in a lot of those cases. That's interesting. I wasn't well, really aware of that. I mean, not technically, but it, the fact is that you have two Alenial firms. They're friendly with each other. Uh, you know, would you rather go in there uh, with your brother who has your back or uh, your competitor or, you know, the bully of the of the playground uh, to to say that you can cover me? And that's the thing that I think is important. So if I'm doing the client accounting, and I have an audit firm that's in, uh, affiliated with another network or association or whatever it is in the same market or not, you know, they're going to be the ones trying to manage the client relationship. If they're two firms in the same association, uh, it becomes much friendlier uh, connection in what they do. That's really interesting. I, I wasn't aware that 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 that, that how was, was something that you guys were were uh, a, a big part of, where lining people up like that. That's pretty well, cool. I, I mean, that's the thing, is right. And I'm trying to get. I'm changing that mindset within our member firms when they talk about what commerce is, because they all think that commerce should be, you know, I play catcher, right? I, I just sit here and I wait. I keep my mid open, and the ball's just thrown to me, and I'm going to get clients that way, and it's not. I, I said in my first blog post for Alineo, I said, commerce is a verb, not a noun. It takes action, actually. Uh, now I know, you know, Ron's going to yell at me for that English snafu, but uh, it is. It takes action for commerce to work, and the firm's got to work together, I think, a little better. 
Yeah, yeah. That that is, okay. So that does make a lot of sense now. Where where you're going with that? What what attracted you to to Alenio Global? Was it was it the fact that they had uh, some of those things already in place, or that the, the the who who were the member firms, that kind of thing? It was the member firms. It was the it's an established North American presence because it broke off from PKF International uh, to create Alenio Global Fresh, and then went out to the global marketplace, brand new new association going out getting member firms and so they did a great job before i got here in growth in the in the short couple of years that they've been like that uh so there's even more opportunity for growth on a global scale uh and the freshness of it allows for me to do these things around transformation that i keep talking about well, that's great. Well, we'll we're definitely uh, want to hear more about that, and I'm I'm glad that the conversations that you're having are even to the point of talking about subscription pricing, huh? <laughs> yeah, we you know it's I'm not going to let it go. I'm not going to wait long uh, <laughs> to start talking about pricing with these firms. I mean, you know, you first the client relationship, understand how important it is. Second, make it the right relationship, and in in the pricing model and having the right. Uh, packages. You know, I had a, a conversation with a firm and, and I said, you know, I started talking about three-tier pricing and and with great confidence, firm said to me, says, oh yeah, we, we've got that. Uh, we're doing three-tier pricing and we're doing so well that all of our clients are choosing our top tier. <laughs> and I said, well, your prices are too low. And he's like, well, how can you say that? I said, because everybody chose it. Like, you know, obviously there's no value in those lower levels. And I can't tell you, uh, Ed, you'll appreciate the the Dan Ierly, uh, you know, the subscription. Oh, Dan Ariely. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. 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 Sorry. I said it wrong. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but the, you know, how many people I've sent that video to just to kind of understand the why options matter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But they have to be the right options. Yeah, no, they do have to be the right right, right options. I, that that video, uh, and we've had Dan on the show, is just jaw dropping. Every time I play it, and people who who've seen it for the first time, you can just see their head begin to explode. But they're like, "Wait a minute! That you actually changed the revenue mix and the profit be, because of having a choice that nobody picked, really?" And you're like, "Yep." <laughs> Really, really good stuff. So, uh, so you, what's your first hundred day? Well, not quite a hundred days yet, right? What's the first hundred days been like? Are you still still getting your 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 sea legs with it? You know, right out of the gate, first week, I met with every team member to find out who they are, what they're up against, uh, just generally culture internally, and then I shifted very quickly over to the member firms. I said two hundred thirty six firms globally. I am going to meet with every firm before year end. I want to understand oh, wow. what you do. I want to understand what you like about Alinea, what we need to improve on. Uh, all 236 firms. I'm about 140 in currently. Uh, and, it, you know, the benefit of, of the pandemic, at least, is I don't have to get on a plane to do it. And it makes it more effective that I can actually get on, you know, eight Zoom calls. I could start at six in the morning in Europe and finish at two o'clock in the morning in Asia Pacific. And it's a long day, but it's a fun day because it's amazing uh, how consistent we are as a profession. Interesting. So I'm curious, to, what, from a process standpoint, how did you do that? Did you develop a questionnaire or did you just kind of go in free form and say, I'm just going to have a conversation and listen? There's uh, there's five questions uh, that I mm -hmm. have in there, but okay. they're pretty general. And uh, the first thing is to understand the firm, the the service mix, what, what they're 
doing for their clients and then from there just pivoting to the the relationships but i can't help but get into client accounting and pricing as we start to have this and just start you know wanting to help in, in different things about growth and i've i've kitted the firms and said look i want to double your dues in five years that is my goal and they kind of you know they but the only way we could do that is they double their revenues so yeah. let's grow together that's the that's the ultimate point like that. Okay, so that so, I was gonna, so that their their dues are sort of based on their revenue. So what you're saying is, hey, I'm going to help you double your revenue. Right. Even better, I'm going to do it, help you double your revenue and do it profitably, so that you grow profit. And even better, you're going to work less. Yeah. <laughs> we can try. So. Yeah. We, can, we can try that. Wow. Well, Mark, this is flying by already. We're up against our first break. Want to remind everyone that they can get a hold of Ron or me by sending an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. Of course, the website is The Soul of Enterprise, where you can see show notes as well as previews to upcoming shows. Want to also remind you that our bonus episode is available on our Patreon site, and that is sponsored now by 90 Minds, where more minds are better than one at 90minds.com. And now, a word from our sponsor. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. Have you ever listened to an advertisement for a book so many times that you question the existence of God? Me too. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I recorded the advertisement for Ron and Ed's book, The Soul of Enterprise Dialogues on Blah 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 Whatever, and four years later, we're all tired of it, especially me. But thankfully, there's a solution. For just $10 a month, you never have to hear my voice again. For a commercial-free version of The Soul of Enterprise, go to patreon.com slash TSOE and subscribe now. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. tuned into the soul of enterprise with ron baker and ed class to find out more about our show visit us on the web at the soul of you can also chat with us on twitter using hashtag ask tsoe now back to the soul of enterprise all right well welcome back everybody we're here with mark Koziel, the uh president and ceo of alineo global and mark you probably expect a recovering cpa to talk to you about accounting but i'm not I want to take you back to a cigar bar in Indianapolis. I think it was when you dropped on me this entrepreneurial leap that you had in mind. 
And then I think by the time we met the next time, it might've been New York, you had taken that leap. So tell me about your and your wife, Marianne's leap <laughs> into entrepreneurship. Well, well, she's the, she's the uh, true entrepreneur. I'm just the accountant in the background and occasional uh, uh, wine. I don't want to say sommelier, you know, I'm not certified, but uh, yeah, it's a, a wine craft and a beer shop called Crafted. So we think, you know, artisan crafts, craft wine, craft beer. Um, yeah, it's fun. It's uh, we moved to a, a mountain town and, you know, within two weeks of closing on our house, decided to open a business uh, brand new in a town in a retail shop, knowing no one, uh, you know, who else does that? Uh, so it's, it's been good. I mean, the pandemic slowed things down on growth a little bit, but she's back in action and, uh, you know, it's, it's fun. I, I've learned more about wine in a year uh, than, than all the, the years put together before. So. I bet. Um, are, are you able to let people in masks, social distancing and all that? Yep. Uh, what she used to do were uh, Friday wine tastings uh, in the in the shop. And there's a tasting bar there that would be four deep on a Friday night and all the tables would be full. Uh, then the pandemic hit and everyone shut down, but she's open still to be able to sell. Shifted to virtual wine tastings through Zoom uh, for a number of months. And then just about uh, two months ago, open to doing live tastings in the shop, but uh, table side. So everyone has to be seated and the, and the taster comes to them rather than people hanging out at the bar. Right, right. How do you decide which wines to carry? Uh, personal preference. Uh, and then there's, you know, it's, it is great to have uh, distributors who know what they're doing. We, there's a couple of distributors that are working for uh, smaller wineries, which is what we really, we were looking for that. We'd like to call it a classified craft wine if we can, uh, but definitely just the smaller, the smaller wineries. And I've learned, you know, I, everyone, I, I always thought that owning a winery would be so glamorous and uh, these would be, you know, millionaires who are just sitting back tasting wine all day. They're all farmers. Farmers. Yeah. Right. I mean, you, you're there right in the epicenter and uh, you know, it's just, it's amazing to talk to them and then their passion about it. And, you know, again, the lessons back to the CPA is being passionate about what you do and they love it. I don't know if any of them make any money, but they're uh, all, <laughs> Uh, incredibly, they're hard workers. Uh, it just, it's an amazing business. It really is. I, I think that's become the new hip thing to do. You know, uh, sports celebrities, actors, whatever used to buy restaurants. Now they buy wineries. I mean, there's, I think there's over 300 wineries in Sonoma and over 600 now in Napa, which is just outrageous when you think every, every bit of land here is being turned into vineyards. Yep. It's just incredible. Or uh, uh, pot farms. Like, yeah. Well, yeah, that too. <laughs> what, what, so tell me what wines have you run across that you love that were kind of unexpected or that you didn't know about before? Uh, there's so many, um, you know, if, well, first of all, there was a, uh, when we were out and did a wine tasting, uh, a few years back, um, we, we ended up doing this, uh, uh VW bus tour and we ended up it. at a, a winery called 16, 600, didn't know anything about it. 
uh, and then uh, we joined the club. We joined every club that we tasted. Like it's like Christmas when you leave Napa and come home, and then you were so drunk when you did it, you forget how many clubs you actually purchased. Right. And I'm still too embarrassed to quit any of them. So again, subscription pricing, <laughs> smart, because I, I have yet to quit any of the wine clubs. But then I find out Phil Katuri is the uh, he's one of the owners and he is one of the vineyard managers and he actually manages a number of vineyards out there. And then I find out, you know, because I'm in the Lasseter wine uh, wine club too, that he actually manages their vines. And so now all of a sudden it's the talent of the grower, it's the talent of the maker, and how you blend those things together can make for an amazing experience in different ways. Yeah, because you did go to the Lassiter, huh? The the Pixar, John Lassiter, is it? Yep. Um, and and that's like fifteen miles from my house. And that and that's a you liked it. It was a great wine. You said they everything they do is a blend. Uh, we just had a brand new one, Dentel Defer, which is uh, seventy percent Grenache, fifteen percent Mouvedre, and the rest is Syrah. And the one they made before that was Chemin Defer, which was only fifty uh, percent. Grenache, and then it beefed up the Mouvedre, which gave it kind of this earthy mineral uh, aspect to it. Just, it's amazing as you learn the grapes and the blends that are there. I think California, they're becoming masters at the blend. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot out here that do the blending and that is really an art. I mean, that is amazing. It's Bordeaux, right? I mean, Bordeaux, you never know what you're going to get out of France. It's either Cab or Merlot, and then they're throwing all kinds of other things in it anyway. Uh, But it's from the Bordeaux region, right? And in California, I think they have a little more uh, artistic flair because they're not limited to just one particular region, and they could bring all kinds of different things together. So, yeah, it's been great. What's your What's your geographical reach? I mean, do you carry wines from around the world or... There are hot spots that are better sellers than others. Yeah, I mean, California's big. Italy scares me. I just don't know it well. Um, and we've had some experts that have come in to, to do Italian wine tastings. France, yeah, we're, we are global. Argentina, I love. I mean, mm-hmm. I think those are, the, uh, those are the really hidden gems. And then we had a, a wine tasting for a private group last year. And they decided they wanted South America. So then I just spent a weekend researching South American wines and then put the story together, much like doing presentations, right? It's all about storytelling and people loved it. They had a great time with it. And, uh, you know, they became loyal customers forever. That special event that they had. And, you know, it just, it it makes for a nice experience. Do you guys serve food? Nope. No want nothing to do with the health department. There are restaurants around us. You want to grab a pizza, bring it in. Uh, we can't give you utensils, anything else, uh, but we can supply you with great wine. Uh, and that's what, that's a Friday night. A lot of them, they'll get four or six people together. Uh, they'll get, they'll do takeout from one of the other restaurants and then just sit and hang out and eat and drink there. Much like the wineries, right? I mean, people bring food with them to right. some of the wineries and it's great. Yeah, a lot of people don't want to deal with the, the health department, so they don't even bother serving food. You can't, you can't even get hors d'oeuvres in some of them, like cheese and crackers or something. Um, so it, probably not you because you're a recovering CPA, but has owning a business changed your perspective at all on the CPA customer relationship? 
uh, other than I think that my wife should get a better accountant. Um, <laughs> you know, you mean you're it, not the accountant? <laughs> when well, we did have, uh, we had a friend of mine do the uh, uh, the corporate tax return. Uh, you know, I still dabble in my own personal return. It, it for a variety of reasons, yes, and especially on the client accounting side, is understanding the the wants and needs of the business, understanding the right tech stack to make it work, um, and then how as I'm doing the 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 accounting now and and what becomes valued versus not valued. This stuff is so flipping easy to automate. I mean, you set the rules up. You know, other than, you know, click approve, approve, approve. And it's completely changed the dynamic of, you know, the the debits and credits that we learned. Because the checkbook, once again, is the driver of the business, right? right? You don't do a bank reconciliation. You, uh, you know, you're you're reconciling back to your transactions because the the bank, that that's the ultimate source of truth of everything that you're doing. So it's just a... It's amazing how small businesses could benefit from that. And I've had the good fortune now, you know, I've met some of Marianne's friends, other businesses in the marketplace and talking to them and, you know, the struggles of being in a small business, the importance of the community all working together, uh, you know, the relationship management, all of that uh, becomes really important. Yeah, yeah, no, that's great. And you'll appreciate, Ron, I should mention, last evening, I spent uh, another night at the shop because there is, every other Thursday, is cigar night on the back porch. I implemented that. And uh, so when you come to town, we have to make sure it's the right Thursday when when you're around to make that happen. Now, would that be Cuban cigars? Uh, I I can't sell those, but if someone had them, I couldn't stop them either. Right, right. Uh, that's awesome. So, so you like being an entrepreneur. It's been fun so far. Yeah. And then more so, you know, my wife's been, uh, she's been a crafter for years now and she's rented from other places and she took her frustrations and kind of redesigned how she, so she has 11 vendors in there, craft vendors wow. that are selling their things. And for her, it's important. Like she's, she's utilizing the social media. She's out there kind of helping those small businesses in, in a similar way. Uh, and then, the, you know, the wine just, when you get someone's undivided attention, they become better shoppers after about two, three glasses of wine. Right. Right. What, what what's the um, virtual wine tasting has been like? How is, how, how is that going? Cause that, that seems, I, you would think it seems weird, but it could, I could see how it could be pretty neat actually. So, you know, when we first opened, uh, we had a, a wine, uh, a wine distributor, wine rep, who her ex-husband is a winemaker in Santa Barbara. She was making wine in Santa Barbara, knew all the Santa Barbara wineries. So we did a Pinot Noir from Santa Barbara <laughs> and we zoomed in the winemaker, the wine owner, uh, to our first ever uh, tasting in the shop. And so we had 30 people there and we brought in the big screen TV and we had them up on Zoom. And so they were getting the experience of the actual winemaker during that experience. I mean, how many people did that? So then when we pivoted to virtual wine tastings, a lot of our regular customers were already used to meeting the winemaker. Now we can do it with all of them being at home rather than being in the shop. And so the pivot was great. We'd get on average 15 to 25 logins, which is, you know, 30 to 60 people. 
It's respectful. Because uh, they'd have couples or, you know, they'd get together, party of four or whatever. Uh, and you were actually able to talk to the winemaker, an experience that not everybody gets. Did you do the sideways tour? Uh, no, but that was, uh, so the Highland, uh, uh, or the Highliner from, uh, yeah, now I'm not going to remember it where he hung out during the whole movie. Right. Right. Uh, that, that was Frank Costini. He is, we had him on as the, the winemaker, a hitching post. Oh, and, uh, his, he's godfather to this woman's son who she now lives in, in Morganton. So you, you know, small world, it's, it's very incestuous in Santa Barbara. I'm sure at some point in the wine business in Napa is the same way. Um, but yeah, it's just, it was really cool. Yeah. That movie killed the sales of Merlot too. Oh my God. And complaining for the about wrong it. reasons too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, Mark, this is just great. This is flying by and thank you so much for indulging me about your entrepreneurial <laughs> leap. Cause I think that's awesome that, that you're doing that. And folks, we'd like to remind you if you want to contact Ed or me, send us an email to ask TSOE barisage.com go out to rate this podcast.com slash tsoe and give us a rating and we will read it on air and now we want to hear from our sponsors the future of online tv is here view exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else visit voiceamerica.tv today Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever listened to an online radio show that changed your life? I'm required to say that I have. Have you ever stopped listening to an online radio show because the commercials were mind-numbingly repetitive? Of course you haven't because you're here right now. Look, you don't have to listen to me anymore. There's a commercial-free version of this show, and it only costs $10 a month. And for $15 a month, you get no commercials plus bonus content. Go to patreon.com slash TSOE, subscribe now, and be free. You're worth it. From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. And we are back with Mark Koziel with Alenial Global. And Mark, before we get back onto accounting, I need to ask you just a follow up to Ron's question: Are are does your wife's business have a subscription? No, we've <laughs> talked about it. Well, actually, it's a, there is a club membership uh, which offers discounts, and still she's still playing with that. Not thrilled with it. It was supposed to include a couple of wine tastings. Everything gets shut down. But, you know, the, the barbershop example, I think, is phenomenal with that to say, 
you know, you still had your customers who are loyal. None of those club members are asking for refunds or anything else, knowing that we can't do the, the wine tastings the way we originally planned. Yeah, we had, I may have told you this, but we had a local restaurant here that does, it's called Destinations Wine Bar. They do sell food, but how they really have survived through the, the pandemic is they had wine storage lockers that they, they had as part of their subscription basis. So you could store your wine there and the, you know, people are like, no, nah, it's okay. Just leave it there. Even though they were, were closed for a while. So that's cool. Pretty pretty cool idea. So let let's talk a little bit about that. What the the business model changes that you're trying to implement with Alenio Global subscription, obviously being one of them. What about th- things like that have really fallen by the well off our radar, like machine learning and and AI? I think are 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 they have they gotten to the point where they are just part of what we know and we're not talking about them because they're just embedded, or were they pushed off because of COVID? No, no, I think uh, the conversations are still there. Um, you know, I think like robotic process automation, I keep hearing more and more of that. I had a firm talk about the fact that they created this kind of client portal and the, based on the set of questions that they, they had, the client is almost getting like the 1099s fully completed on their own without even really knowing it. There's very little touch points for uh, the firm to do when, when that happens. And so, you know, it's being integrated. Uh, there's a number of companies in AI we're looking at a couple to partner with, uh, that I think are really transforming the business. Uh, you know, bot keepers talked about now, even though not all of it is quite the bots doing everything, they have some outsource elements to that. But I even think about that though, when, so we have a number of firms in uh, India, the Philippines, Malaysia, and Singapore, all of which are doing outsourcing. And they are doing some work for some of our clients from all, elsewhere around the world. As the business model shifts to that technology, there may be this level of first move to outsource, then move to robotics, uh, because it's kind of a stopgap. You don't want to hire the position only to eliminate it later. If I can outsource it, then I can make that shift a little easier. And we're talking a lot about that in the business model. Is there, is there a problem with that? One of the things that I think even Botkeeper got involved with is is when, when, you, when you shift stuff overseas, do you have to let the, 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 the customer know that you're doing that? To- in some way, yeah, depending on what the service is. I mean, on tax, and then there's the, you know, the redacted uh, social security numbers and all that, that that needs to be worked through. But, you know, I, I, I even say insourcing, right? So, you know, pick your, you know, underdeveloped town or city currently, it may be New York City very soon, based on the trend that they're on currently, <laughs> of, you know, where you're going to end up with, um being able to outsource or insource that, you know, even if it's a firm that multiple locations over the country that they may pick like the Midwest, a more economical center to do the more transactional rather than saying, you know, we're going to pick the most expensive cities to, to run those transactions too. Sure. A lot of options. <laughs> yep. So as you've, t- you said, you're about 140 or so through your, your member firm. So about halfway, is that right? That's right. Have what what surprised you with those conversations? Did any did anything take you by surprise? Like, wow, I didn't realize that so many firms were here or behind or ahead. Anything shocking? 
the consistency of the conversation. Mm. Whether I am talking to China, Singapore, Japan, Europe, uh, U.S., Canada, Mexico, Latin America, client accounting is a universal language. The client relationship at the very center of it is universal. The technology, you can swap them in and out, right? But we're all having these conversations about automating what it is that we do. Not everyone is as prepared into the advisory space. And that's why I say, like, when I bring up subscription pricing and three-tier pricing, you know, managing partners and partners are writing furiously as I'm talking about that. So in a lot of markets around the world, this is the first they're ever hearing of it. And, you know, so, and then I start to get emails putting me in touch with their uh, folks that are running their client accounting practice. And we have a community around client accounting. And I said, I want to get out of that community. Just everyone's showing up and saying, oh, what software are you using? Oh, yeah, oh, I'm using this. Okay, great. Nice. And the hour goes by and nothing gets accomplished. I want accountability inside of there to say, how are we going to transform our practice? I had a two hour call with a firm about business model. And they said that they want to increase their client accounting by $200,000 next year. I said, okay, fine. Show up to the next community and be held accountable to the rest of them for that. And I want the, everyone else to come with the same thinking that we're going to work off of each other to make, maybe we can help each other, who knows, but let's have that conversation. That conversation is universal globally. That is really interesting. That they, And is, is the is the timesheet, unfortunately, still universal globally as well, or have been people getting away from that? Well, and that's the thing. It's like where I get it wrong is going to be in the pricing sometimes when I'm talking in hard dollars U.S., but the concept is still generally the same. When I say, you know, your base price should never be below what they can spend to have someone full-time doing it for them in-house. To hire a bad bookkeeper in the US who shows up part of the time, gets it completely wrong, can't produce a financial statement, is about 35 to 40 grand minimum. So why, should any firm in the U.S. price their base price of we're going to get you better information, we'll handle all of the transactional, and you'll have a monthly financial statement and a dashboard that you can see 24-7, and we will do that for three grand a month uh, at no holds barred. And that that's the base, but you can go to the next tier and you're going to get all these other things. At that base price, now it's up to the firm to be profitable. Back to your point about profit versus revenue. If I built the tech stack and I stay in the vertical that I've identified and I stay true to that, every new client that I bring on is going to be more profitable than the prior. And so that's the way to build that business. And firms still, many partners are still trying to send them just any client and say, well, it's, you know, it's the, the slop work, it's the cleanup work. And it doesn't work. You, you, you spurred me on to, to, to uh, mention something to you, Ron, Ron and I have done a lot of work with the bookkeepers in Canada over the, the last decade or so. And one of the things that we repeat over and over again is that we think that the bookkeepers in Canada, first of all, they're far ahead of the bookkeepers in the United States for whatever reason. In fact, they're even ahead, Ron and I would think, of the accountants in the U.S., what what are you seeing with regard to the 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 paraprofessionals internationally? Are you seeing similar trends like that, 
or, or uh, is it more like Canada or more like the U.S.? Uh, it's probably, you know, and I forgot the there's a terminology like in the U.K. and I forgot it's an organized group of generally pair pros uh, in that in that market. And they're in a number of other markets, too. So, yeah, they're out there. And that's always the challenge is, you know, firms that are saying that that's what they're competing against. And I'm like, but you're not. And if you if that's the road that you take, because you're just going to be doing that, that mundane, uh, forget it. I mean, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about advisory and Mm -hmm. you know, you're never going to get to the advisory though. If you can't clean up the transactional and get out of doing that 24 seven. Yeah. That's what's so interesting is that the bookkeepers that we've done in Canada do that same thing. And they, they actually are shifting to advisory, which is, is pretty amazing. Uh, at least the group that we uh, have, have uh, been working with. So I was talking to a firm, one of our firms in India, and I w- that's exactly what I was saying. I said, you know, you're doing outsourcing for so many of these firms around the world. Imagine the data that you have. What insight, what story does the data tell you that you're sharing with those firms? That's the value add. If you just mm-hmm. want to be the outsource doing the, you know, hour after hour, you know, I don't know that that's going to be the value prop 10 years from now. Yeah, we had a, a great conversation with the, the the chief technology officer of Sage, Aaron Harris, who I know you you know, and he was, was talking about the same thing. Is that one of the things that we're learning inside Sage from an artificial intelligence standpoint and machine learning standpoint is the leverage that we can take of you know certainly certainly without question keeping the data um, um, anonymous so that we're not sharing other people's data, but the insights that we're able to get with regard to transactions in the market marketplace and what's happening in the marketplace is really incredible. The data is, it's like oil. It's becoming almost as uh, worth as much as the actual uh, service itself. That's right. That's right. Absolutely. And that's where, that's where the firms need to go. And I think a lot of them are starting to figure that out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that, that's great. We're really excited for you as, as what's, what's, so after you get through this, you're going to put together some kind of a plan to say, and then, you know, here, here's where you're going to take this long term with Millennial Global, but you still, is, you're still in that learning phase, but next, the next is to come out with a plan, right? Well, we did. We, we have a strategic plan. Uh, we have five, uh, five core pillars to it. Being an engine for commerce, the global brand itself, being uh, member focused on what we do, being client focused and creating an, the ultimate connectivity. Those are the five big things, and then all the tactics. So from the base strategy that we did with the global executive board, I've taken that out now to the regional boards. Two of the four are done where we do strategy cafes, asking them what they like and what they would add to the plan. And generally what they've added are pieces that were already there just tweaked up a little bit. So the plan is strong and we're getting a lot of great feedback on that. And they want to incorporate and even I even have firms wanting to incorporate pieces of that into their strategic planning process, which is all we could hope for. Wow. I, I really look forward to see what you're going to do with that organization. I had had some familiarity with them, did some work before you got on board and really liked the firms that I did talk to. So uh, really looking forward to the next phase. But we are up against our break already and Ron's going to take you home for the fourth segment. But I want to thank you once again for being on, on the show and hope to have you back at, at a future point. I'm sure we, we will. Uh, but right now, Ron, I remind you that you can get a hold of Ron or me by sending an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. 
Tom. As I mentioned earlier, the website is The Soul of Enterprise. Show notes as well as previews to upcoming shows. Ron mentioned Rate This Podcast, the place to go. RateThisPodcast.com slash TSOE. And we'd love to hear from you with regard to a rating. And we will read that on the air. But right now, a word from our sponsor and my employer, Sage. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever been so annoyed by a commercial for a $5 ebook that you were willing to pay $10 to never hear it again? I sure have. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. Over the last several years, you've come to hate me, and I hate me too. By now, you know that for $5, you can get a copy of Ron and Ed's book. What you might not know is, for twice that much every month for forever, you can stop hearing me plug Ron and Ed's book, which totally makes sense, like the Diamond Water Paradox. Go to patreon.com slash TSOE and subscribe today. Please, for the love of God, make it stop! When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Welcome back, everybody. We're here with Mark Koziel. And Mark, um, you've got a worldwide perspective. Have you seen uh, firms in different countries handling the COVID crisis differently or more innovatively? Have you seen, have you learned anything about how they're dealing with it outside of the U.S.? I don't know about innovatively. Other, uh, I will say many taking it, shall I say, more seriously without trying to get political around it. Um, you know, and, and the view of the, the U.S. currently isn't generally favorable, um, although there's a number of countries now that are spiking back up as well. Right. But many of them are still locked down, working from home, having the ability to do that, uh, which has been helpful. Not every market, you know, interestingly, the U.S. firms had an okay year. Uh, you know, there, and it was a lot to do with the PPP. Uh, it was a weird year, uh, but, and everyone's worried about spring of 21, but it was, uh, it was definitely an interesting year and other, there are other markets. So Asia Pacific specifically that really suffered more. So they didn't have the extra PPP to fall back on. They were losing clients because the clients were just completely going under. Uh, so it's, it is different. Did they make the shift uh, as quick to remote work as a lot of firms here did? 
Yeah. Again, you talk about universal. Uh, they all did. They all yeah, pivoted. They all can't wait to go back. Uh, <laughs> just like many firms here are saying, this is fine, but it's temporary. This whole, you know, working remotely thing. And someday uh, we'll be back to normal. And I'm like, no, this is the new normal. And it may never be 100% in the office. Um, but your staff are saying that's, that's, that's okay. Right. But it's it's I, the the whole thing about remote is flexibility, uh, flexibility of the individual. One fits one type of uh, plans. What's right for the client uh, and and creating flexibility in what you do. It's not. I'm trying to hear mandates from firms. Well, fifty percent must be in the office this day. No, that's the flexible. <laughs> Who cares? Just get it done. I don't care where you do it. Do it on your rooftop. Do it in your car. I don't care. Uh, just get it done. Yeah, I'm hoping the results-only work environment kind of comes out of this crisis as a testable, viable model. But the other thing I wanted to ask you about, given the the worldwide view that you have too, is you know we have a Verisage colleague, Tim Williams, uh, from the advertising space, and he wrote a great book called Positioning for Professionals. He's a big believer in niching. You know, really, really putting your your firm in a box, if you will. Like he likes to say, no box, no strategy. Do you see more of a movement towards niching? I mean, really focusing rather than trying to be all things to all people and not wanting to turn away any revenue, but really just barreling in and just focusing on one particular industry or demographic or whatever. Not enough, even not in enough. the U.S., right? So we, we might be slightly ahead. And actually, it's the smallest of firms for the U.S. It's probably the most advanced because they can only do one particular vertical generally because it's just them, right? Uh, you know, I said the the client qualification still exists that, you know, it's the mirror test. If it fogs, it's a client. If it doesn't <laughs> fog, it's an estate client. Right. So, you know, bad, bad accounting joke that's been around forever. Uh, anyway, the yeah, and the, the, some of the markets aren't nearly there, and we still have to get them to just the technology aspect. But even in in the U.S., I'm having a lot of conversations with our firms about tr pulling, plucking out what is that one vertical that we need to go super deep on, and and let's focus on that. Uh, the power of one. I always said when Barry Melanson fired me, I'd write the book, The Power of One. Uh, one client, one vertical, do it. Figure it out. Do it right. After action review, tweak it up. Get the next client. After action review, tweak it up. Create the model. And then just blow it out, man. Just go crazy getting those clients, understanding where you need to go. And once that's fully built, then you can move on to the next vertical. Right. I, you know, I, I've been using uh, Peter Drucker's famous questions about, you know, his, his idea of systematic abandonment. And the question is, if you weren't in this line of business today, would you enter it? And if not, what are you going to do about it? And yeah. that's a really powerful question. It's huge. And that's where even in the business model, if for some firms, if they can't get there radically enough based on their existing uh, client base, then the ultimate thing may be, all right, forget about what we have today. Let's just sit down. Let's create a practice from scratch. If we were to open up shop today, what would we look like? There was a firm in California that did this. And by the time they got done, they said, well, we have an entirely different organization here. 
And they did that. They actually opened that up under a different brand. And then they let their legacy clients just kind of continue to die on the vine uh, as they w- put their focus into this, this other business. And I think that's what a lot of firms need to do. Once they figure out what that particular vertical is, let's put the concentration. We can still do those bookkeeping clients that we had around the partners thought we did, but don't bring me more of those. I'm now going to qualify clients. And if they don't fit this profile, they're not coming. Right. And Mark, I got to ask you, and this, this kind of uh, relies more on your, your experience from the ICPA, but the big four in the UK is facing a split up, a spinoff of their audit and their consulting, the financial reporting council. In fact, is supposed to, or the firms are supposed to issue some reports today on how to do that. How do you see that playing out? And will that come to the USA? Didn't it once already? That was Sarbanes-Oxley, kind Sorry. of, right? I mean, that's, yeah. they're following a similar playbook uh, between the different uh, financial reporting committees trying to, quote, unquote, clean up audit. Uh, you know, we, we had argued for years that to do that is an incredible challenge and a disservice to the auditor because the, having the audit experience and having the advisory experience in that vertical on people that you can pull from. Not, you're, you're not doing advisory and audit in the same client, but having them both in the same space makes the firm that much smarter about the space and, and understanding the industry. So splitting these things up isn't gonna make the, the audit any better. Uh, it's actually gonna uh, probably detract from it a little bit. So they'll split them off. And then one day when you know we'll wake up and somehow the advisory practice will somehow be back, okay. potentially like Sarbanes, you know, they all split, they all right. pull them off, and now somehow they're all in the advisory business like they were before. Right. So, Mark, we've only got about a minute, a little over, maybe. What advice would you give to a young aspiring CPA? Uh, the, the the world is your oyster. You know, as to today, if the one thing we didn't talk about is the fact that once again, this pandemic has proven how recession proof our profession is, uh, you know, and you get that CPA, you know, that's one thing they can't take away from you. And, uh, you know, you'll, you'll find a business forever, whether you go to be a controller somewhere, uh, go to work for a firm. The accounting, I can't tell you the number of kids that I've talked into going to school for accounting. Uh, and they're still hiring coming on off as regardless of what you hear in the news, there are still jobs for these young kids to get. Uh, and so, you know, it's the opportunities there. Excellent. Yeah, I used to, used to joke uh, that, you know, who would you notice for who would society notice first garbage men going on strike or CPAs? And I have to say CPAs would probably be the right answer this year. <laughs> so, well, Mark, thank you so much. This has been wonderful. We can't wait to have you back and uh, keep keep doing the, the great work at the lineal and Ed, what do we have on store for next week? Uh, next week, Ron, I think we are going to have our friend Jules Goddard join us. All right, on common sense and common nonsense. I love it. I'll see you in 167 hours. This has been the Soul of Enterprise, business in the knowledge economy, sponsored by Sage transforming the way people think and work so their organizations can thrive. Join us next week on Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern. That's 1 p.m. Pacific. But in the meantime, please feel free to visit us at www.thesoulofenterprise.com.